right, everybody, welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 8th, 2020, and we have a very, very special guest for you guys today as we continue our look back at the historic 2001-2002 Detroit Red Wings season. Uh, I am your host, Detroit sports writer Nolan Bianchi, uh, joined as always by my co-host, longtime Red Wings fan, Ethan Smith. Hey, what's going on? Uh, and we saved the best introduction for last. He is in his 25th season as the Detroit Red Wings play-by-play radio broadcaster. He has called four Stanley Cups. He's been the voice of countless moments in team history. And today he is appearing on the Lockdown Red Wings podcast to bring you a behind-the-scenes look at the Red Wings 2002 playoff run. Without further ado, we would like to welcome Ken Cal to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Hey guys, how you doing today? Not too bad on on my end. Now, uh, I'm really excited to to talk to you about this team and this playoff run. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of dynamics to be taken into consideration, and we kind of set the table on Monday's episode. You know, the Red Wings had fallen uh, in the first round to the LA Kings a year prior, had failed to make it out of the second round since winning it all in '98. Ken Holland goes out, acquires Luke Robitaille, Brett Hall, Dominic Hasek. Uh, 10 Hall of Famers on the team. They win the President's Trophy. But, uh, you know, going into those playoffs, given their lack of success in the few years prior, how would you sum up the confidence surrounding this team, both in the locker room and in the fan base, heading into the 2002 uh, postseason? Well, it certainly was a great year for the Red Wings, that 2001-2002 campaign. And, you know, all the stars on that team, you'll never see that again, not in this cap era. So, you know, Ken Holland went out and spent some money and, you know, they signed all those free agents. And then the last, I think one of the last guys they brought in was Brett Hull. And, um, you know, that kind of rounded out the team. But, uh, man, you look at all the talented players that they had, and it certainly was a really good season. And for the fans here in Detroit, just to be able to see all those Hall of Fame players playing, or future Hall of Fame players at the time, mm-hmm. it was just amazing. And they were highly skilled. Um, they had it all. You know, Lidstrom back there on the blue line. You had uh, guys that could score up front like Shanahan and Robitaille and Brett Hull and Steve Eiserman and, you know, the list goes on and on. And great goalkeeping, too, from Dominic Koscik. So it was really an outstanding club going into the playoffs. Do you think that there was any doubt maybe in the back of the team's mind, given the way that they had just fallen uh, to the L.A. Kings? And then I guess, you know, they're, they're the many first-round exits from before they won the Cups. Uh, was, there a sense of, was there a sense of confidence from the team heading into that playoffs? Well, I think going through the regular season, a lot of times when you have that many great superstar hockey players, the challenge comes to the head coach, in this particular case, Scotty Bowman, and trying to keep them all in line. And I think he really got them to buy into the system that you play as a team. And, and if you play as a team, you're going to you're going to go far and you're going to win. Now, easier said than done because – you know, when you're a high-priced player and and you're well-known out there, you know, you you tend to be the greatest player on your team. But then now they're all coming to Detroit, and you have to balance all that. And so it was kind of a challenge, I would think, early in the season. But I think Scotty Bowman did a really good job, as I mentioned before, just playing as a team. And, and of course, the Red Wings, their last Stanley Cup they won up to that point was in 98. So certainly they had a lot, a lot of talent. And I think – Best of all, they, they really had a good goalkeeper in Dominic Oshik. I think he was really the guy that really kept them in a lot of games and really had a pretty good playoff run as well in 
Let's talk about this uh, first-round matchup with Vancouver. The eighth-seed Canucks steal two straight at Joe Louis Arena to start the series. Was there panic heading uh, back to Vancouver in this 2 nothing hole? Well, I, I remember after game two in Detroit, I think it was a Sunday afternoon game, and then we were heading out to Vancouver right after the game, and everybody was in shock. I mean, nobody could believe it. And it wasn't like the Red Wings played bad, but they just found themselves down 0-2, and going into um, into Vancouver for games three and four, and you know I, I remember Steve Eiserman later, you know, telling telling saying that he was talking with the team and the players and saying, hey, we just got to get things going here, and once we get things going, we'll get on a roll, and you know we should have a pretty good uh, playoff run. But it's hard to believe when you're down two games to none, then you're going on the road to try and win that series, and all of a sudden people start thinking, well, we got all these you know superstars on our team and you're down 0-2 in the series, how are they going to come back and win? But you know what I remember most, guys, is uh, I remember we we left right after game two, and we got into Vancouver late, even though we gained some hours of time back with the Pacific time zone. And I remember we were on the bus, and uh, we were going from the airport to the hotel, and this car comes by, the bus, and they've got four or five uh, Vancouver fans in it with all with brooms in their car. And they're passing the bus. They realize it's the Red Wings bus. And they're like yelling and screaming, you know, go Canucks. And they've got the uh, the brooms out and they're honking their horns saying, we're going to sweep, we're going to sweep. <laughs> I think the players, I, I really think the players are upset because of that, you know. And they're saying like, you know what, you know, we got to turn this thing around. And once you know it, it was a goal, I think it was in game three by Nick Lidstrom from center ice that really changed everything around. So that was a lucky goal for Detroit. And as a result, the Red Wings won the next four games and beat uh, the Vancouver Canucks four games to two and advanced in the series. So how big of a goal was that for the Red Wings, that Lindstrom goal? Like what impact did, do you think that uh, getting scored on like that had a, like a kind of changed the psyche for the Canucks? Well, here's the thing. If you look at all playoff series, there's always one defining moment. And uh, going into a series, you never know what it's going to be. It could be an injury. It could be a big goal. It could be a big hit. That really changes momentum in the series. And to me, that was the, the changer right there. And Chelios had a really good series, too. I thought he was really good in, the, in all six games against the um, uh, Vancouver Canucks. But to me, that was the defining moment. That goal, if that goal doesn't go in, who knows what's going to happen. But it seemed to deflate the Vancouver Canucks enough to where the Red Wings finally got some momentum going on their side and ended up winning four straight games to, to win the series. Then they go to the second round and they have a day with the Blues in round two, which they, they take fairly easily. We're going to kind of breeze past that a little bit because I think yeah. what people are, are super interested in is that game or uh, the Western Conference final against the Colorado Avalanche, their fifth and final playoff showdown uh, during the period of that rivalry. Now, the first five games are extremely contested. Red Wings win the first and, and then, you know, go or lose three out of the next four, three of which go to OT uh, as Colorado takes a 3-2 lead. Now, in your mind, what is the toughest mental aspect of heading back to Denver needing to win two straight, you know, especially when considering that Colorado had won three out of four of the previous playoff meetings? Well, I'll tell you, it didn't look good. And, you know, with, with, with all these superstars that the Red Wings had on their team, you expected them just to breeze by everybody. Well, well, that wasn't the case, and, and they really had to find ways to win. And I think because of their experience and their veteran leadership, you know, through Steve Eisenman, I think that was what really did it. And, uh, you know, it was a must-win 
Edmonton situation. It was a game in which the Red Wings needed solid goalkeeping. They needed to play their best defensive game, and certainly they've got it. And uh, that's why early in the year when they picked up Dominic Hasek, uh, this is what they picked them up for, to come up big when you needed them the most. And certainly, you know, posting a shutout on the road, uh, enabling your team to win was something else. And, you know, over the years, the Red Wings had some duels with Patrick Wan. You know, at times they won, at times they didn't. But in, in the end, it seemed like uh, the uh, the Avalanche had the Red Wings number a lot of times. But Hasek was really good in game six, making really good saves. And the Red Wings played good in front of Dominic as well. So speaking of that game six, the Red Wings were tied 0-0 against Colorado heading in the final minute of the first period. Can you uh, take me through the Statue of Liberty goal scored on Wah? And how much of an impact do you think that that goal scored in that way had on the momentum of the rest of the series? Well, Patrick Wah was always a showman and uh, kind of a showboat out there. And, and I think he was looking for something to give his team a little bit of a lift because I think the Red Wings were kind of outplaying the, the Avalanche, even though it was a tight hockey game. And I, I think it was Shanahan, wasn't it, who scored the goal? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wasn't yep. it Brandon that shot scored it, the goal? Uh, yep. Then Shanahan knocked it in. Yeah, and uh, what happened on the play is um, Wah thought he had it covered on the original shot, and then he picked up his glove to show the fans that he and the referee, I guess, that he's got the puck. Next thing you know, <laughs> Shanahan's in there to bang it home, and uh, you know a lot of egg on the face of Patrick Wah to the delight of the Red Wing fans, of course. And and um, you know that was a huge goal right there, and and you're always looking for some big goals. And like I said before, you know Wah. At times he could showboat a little bit. Maybe he was showboating there, but the Red Wings found a way to get that puck behind him and eventually win the game. All right, so let's talk about Game 7. Uh, I was born in 1996. This is my first vivid memory of the Detroit Red Wings. We'd find out before long that Joe Louis Arena was an absolute powder keg waiting to explode. Thomas Holmstrom scores a minute 57 into the game. Now, maybe besides Iserman's double OT winner against the Blues and McCarty's goal against the Flyers, have you ever seen a building shake like that before? No, and, and you know what? I, in those types of games, guys, you never know what to expect, really, to be honest with you. I mean, the series is tied. It's, it's all, you know, everything's out on the table, and you got to come up with a way to win that hockey game. And over, nobody ever expects a blowout, but – Man, the Red Wings came out and just—I think they had a four-nothing lead after, after 20 minutes or three-nothing, something like that—and the crowd was just going wild, as you as you described. And you know, if you're the visiting team and you're down three-nothing, there's no way you're going to come back and win that game. Not against the Red Wings, because you know the Red Wings at that time were were really good. And and uh, you know, you have Dominic Kashuk in net again, and he posted another shutout when it was all said and done. And you know, he definitely kept the Red Wings in that hockey game, making some big saves too. But that was an unbelievable – I think I think the fans there were cheering, but I think they were relieved as well, knowing that after it was 3 nothing and 4 nothing, they could kind of breathe a little bit easier, knowing that they were going to go to the Stanley Cup final. So the Red Wings, like you said, went on to score four in that first period. And given the way that Hasek played, at what point did you feel personally that the Wings had that game in hand? I think after the first period, I mean, uh, the momentum was definitely on the Red Wings side. And like I mentioned before, these were two really good teams. I mean, the Avalanche still had a lot of great players on their team. They had great goalkeeping and wah, but then he got chased. And, you know, it, was, uh, it wasn't going to happen for them that year. And, you know, sometimes that happens like that. You know, a lot of t- I think a lot of people were expecting a tight game that might be decided in overtime because of the way the games have been played before in the past against these two clubs. 
but um, you know, after the first period, it's four to nothing. You had a really good feeling, at least I did, that you know, there's no way they were going to lose that game. And if they did lose the game, then uh, they didn't deserve any way to go to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, really. <laughs> what was unique about that atmosphere? Because I, I, you know, I think back to the the rowdiest uh crowds at joe lewis arena and none of them were able to quite have the party mid-game like this crowd did what do you remember you know just about the way people were celebrating you know for the final 40 minutes of the game you know guys it was just a good feeling knowing that after several years you're going back to the stanley cup final and you got a chance to win it all and you know i think that was the atmosphere that i could feel inside the arena i remember what it was like when they won in 97 and the crowd was going wild there and it's kind of the same type of feeling except uh less dramatic less dramatics i guess but you know what um i just i just thought the fans were you know just knew that you know hey this game's done and now you can look ahead to the stanley cup uh you know final and and see who they were going to play i don't know if it was still determined uh who they were going to play when they won i can't remember that that far back but uh mm-hmm. you know it turned out to be the carolina hurricanes but uh, in any event it was a nice night i'm glad the red wings won game seven at home and uh it was a good win in front of the fans now i'm curious to get your thoughts on this uh you mentioned earlier the avalanche kind of had the red wings number uh throughout the playoffs to that point beat the red wings in three out of five playoff series during that bowman era do you think winning game seven in that way and then going on to win a third Stanley Cup while Colorado only had two in that span, you know, kind of made them the victors of that rivalry? Yeah, I guess you could you could look at it that way. All I remember is that both teams had great players, and everyone talks about the fight, fight night at the Joe and everything, but, geez, when you look at Colorado, they had, they had some great players too, and, and the hockey was just intense, and it was great. And, you know, there will never be another rivalry like that, not for a long, long time. I mean, you know, Edmonton and Calgary now, they've got a little rivalry going. But, but this, these were world-class players going head-to-head, it seemed like, year in and year out. And in order to get to the Stanley Cup, you're going to have to either go through Denver or you're going to have to go through Detroit. And, you know, that's the way I think a lot of the players looked at it. And, and you know, at the, end of the, at the beginning of the season, I'm sure players on Den, in Colorado and Detroit were already looking ahead to the postseason saying, you know, look, it looks like we're going to play these guys again. And certainly that has been the case. And that's why it was such a good rivalry, because it always seemed like they met each other in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. it was really good hockey. You know, Sackick, Forsberg, Adam Foote, uh, uh, Patrick Waugh, and the list goes on and on. They were some really good players. And the matchups that you know, like, the, you know, you had Iserman, you had Fedorov, and, you know, they were going head-to-head against Forsberg and Sackick and trying to shut each other down. It was just it was just really, really good hockey, and, and the fans here in Detroit and in Denver really appreciated it. What were some of your favorite sights and sounds from that Game 7, either during the game or after? Well, I had a, I have to laugh because I, my wife, I took my wife to the game. She doesn't go to many games, but uh, – you know, she's she's not a big hockey fan, but but you know she got wrapped up in the rivalry too. So when I asked her if she wanted to come to the game, she ended up going. She was sitting near the Zamboni entrance, and and that's where Patrick Waugh was, uh, you know, tending goal for the you know to start the game. And when he got pulled, somebody, some fan threw a pacifier on the ice into his direction, and she couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. And uh, you know, I remember after the game, she came up to the booth and. 
And, uh, you know, she was all excited about the game. And she goes, she goes, did you see the pacifier they threw at Patrick Watt? That was hilarious. And I'm like, well, they threw a lot at him, I guess. But, you know, that, that those are memories that, you know, that, that I think about. And, um, you know, I, I guess, I guess as fans here in Detroit, you know, like, like Patrick has a, was a great hockey player, obviously, and certainly deserves a lot of credit, but um, it was certainly nice to beat him too. In a way that, series kind of felt like it maybe was the Stanley cup final, like whoever the Eastern conference was only playing for second place. The wings obviously go on to beat Carolina in five games to claim their third Stanley cup in that span. What was unique to you about that championship celebration? Because I think just having so many old players on that team kind of really sets it apart from a lot of other championships in the way that this was the last ride for a lot of guys. A lot of guys knew that this was a, uh, an era that was coming to an end for a lot of these guys, given that they were in their late thirties and, and some of them even their early forties. Well, you're right about that. And uh, there was talk even that the Red Wings were getting a little bit too old and too long in the tooth, but you know what, you brought up a good point after that avalanche series and, and everyone looked at that series as a Stanley cup final, even though it wasn't, but I think there was a letdown in game one and uh, the Red Wings yeah. lost game one. Ron Francis scored a goal in overtime and beat Detroit. And um, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy series for the Red Wings against Carolina. Actually, Carolina played pretty well. They could have won a couple of games in that series, including the triple overtime game that Larianov scored in game three, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, but they really played well. They played Detroit tough and, I give them a lot of credit, but you're absolutely right. It was like, I guess, one last opportunity for some of the older veterans on this team to try and win a Stanley Cup. And, um, you know, even afterwards when Scotty put the skates on and he was skating around, he was telling players like Chelios and Shanahan he's going to hang them up. And, you know, that was his last game that he was going to coach. I mean, that that kind of was an end of an era right there. And we saw it here in Detroit, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Scotty Bowman, you know, not going to be able to coach anymore. And he ended his career with Detroit. You know, we, uh, we touched on that celebration by Bowman on Monday's episode. Uh, and I just think it really speaks to just the amount of characters that they had on that team. I, th- I think when you just look back, they were one of the uh, most entertaining, you know, character wise uh, teams that I can remember from Red Wings history. Who were some of the most memorable characters to you from that locker room after game five, when the team was celebrating? Well, you know, the Red Wings had it all really that year. They had a lot of veterans, and those are the guys that we've been talking about. But uh, they had a lot of players, role players, too. And keep in mind, they had a young Pavel Datsuk mm-hmm. that uh, was going to take the Red Wings into the next generation of hockey. And he was teamed up with Boyd Devereaux and, um, uh, let's see, it was him, Devereaux, and, uh, and Brett Hall. Brett Hall, Devereaux, and Datsuk. And they called that line the two kids in a goat line. And, uh, you know, that was a really productive line and, and Hall enjoyed playing with Pavel Datsuk. And I remember him telling me that, you know, this kid's got great potential. He's unbelievable and how he makes plays out there. And, you know, for a shooter like Hall, and he was getting up there in age, you know, his weight was up there too, a little bit, and he just needed guys to get him the puck. Well, certainly, yeah, certainly (laughs) it was Pavel Datsuk who was able to get him the puck. But but one story that I remember about, and you're talking about characters, is Brett Hall, because it was halfway through the season one in that year, and uh, he got into a, a little tiff with the reporters, and, and he said, you know, 
he didn't talk to reporters for a couple of weeks, you know, and we were on the road. I, I, I don't know if we were in Pittsburgh or somewhere else, but anyway, um, I needed a, an interview to get, and I really wanted to interview Brett Hall, you know? So uh, I talked to the PR director at the time and I said, you know what? I said, I really like to get Brett Hall, but, but I don't think he's talking to the media. So I went to plan B, started talking to a, a couple other people and then the PR man comes up to me and he says, Ken, he goes, Brett Hall's waiting for you by the Zamboni. And I go, get out of here. You're pulling on my leg. He goes, no, no, he wants to talk to you. And I'm, and I'm like, this is a joke. So I go out there and here's Holly. He's behind the Zamboni because he doesn't want the other reporters talking to, to me, right? Like, like he doesn't want yeah. anybody to see him talking. So he's like kind of looking over his shoulders. He's answering these questions. And I want to tell you something. It was one of the best interviews I ever got in my life. He was talking about positioning and where to be on the ice looking for holes to to shoot pucks at the goaltenders it was it was an amazing amazing interview and here i got the exclusive because he didn't want to talk to anybody else (laughs) (laughs) oh man what a great story so when you look back on it now what is i guess your favorite memory from this cup run uh i think the celebration on home ice again because we all remembered the one in 97 and for the Red Wings to win that cup on home ice kind of rekindled the memories of, to me, it did to 1997. And it gave the Red Wing fans another opportunity to witness the Stanley cup one live at uh, Joe Louis arena. So, you know, it was pretty fortunate. The wings won two cups on the road. They won two cups at home. So it kind of evened things out a little bit, but whenever you can win a Stanley cup at home and in front of your home fans, I think that was, you know, that's just amazing. It's pretty cool on the road too, but you don't get the atmosphere as you get when the time's winding down you finally win it. Yeah. The fans are going crazy and, you know, the confetti's in the air and people are celebrating. And, and then after long, long after the game, when uh, you leave the arena, you know, people are on the streets honking their horns and, and, and just really having a good time in the city. And that's, that's what it's all about. Awesome. Do you have a favorite call of yours from that? From and the, the parade too. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> uh, you know what I remember? I, 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 uh, I remember, I think Shanahan scored into an empty net with time winding down in game five. And it was, um, that's, that's when you knew that you were going to win the cup. We were talking about the, mm-hmm. uh, the moment against the avalanche, you know, when it was four to nothing, but yeah, once Shanahan scored into the empty net to put the dagger in the hearts of the Hurricanes, and I think there was like a minute and 10 seconds to go in the game. And the celebration out at Center Ice, I can remember it after, they sco- after he scored, he, he and Iserman like just tackled each other. And then Hasek was dancing around in the goal <laughs> crease. And, 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 you know, it was, it was just they couldn't wait to get that minute off the clock so that they could finally be Stanley Cup champs. But that was, uh, that's what I remember about it. Well, Ken, uh, we certainly appreciate you uh, joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Uh, and this is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Ken. Yep, yep. Ethan, Nolan, all the best to you guys. And uh, it's always nice to go down memory lane and remember some really great years with the Detroit Red Wings. Well, you can follow Ken uh, on Twitter at KenCalDRW. Uh, any other, anything else that you're maybe working on while, while we're in this uh, pause of the season? Uh, no, just 
trying to get the the green light from the CDC, and hopefully, you know, that's what I think everybody's waiting for is, you know, for everyone to get back to work and and the fans back to the games and the players playing the games again. So it's just uh, one of those things where you got to take it day by day. It's not going to be fast. I, I think it's gonna it's gonna take some time yet, but. You know, we all want to be safe, and once we get the green light, we'll be all ready to go. Well, I see, uh, I see on your Twitter you've been doing some puzzles lately, so we'll let you get back to those. Ken, thank you so much. <laughs> that and some card tricks, too. <laughs>